Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the Authority Marketing Podcast, where I interview leading experts in their field to find out how they got to where they're at and their advice if you'd like to do something similar. Today, I'm speaking to Robert Craven, who's a keynote speaker and managing director of the Director Centre here in the UK, which provides consulting and coaching for growing businesses. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Uh, Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. Cheers. Now, Robert, you've built a reputation in the UK and increasingly globally as one of the go-to guys for entrepreneurs. I think the Financial Times recently called you the entrepreneurship guru. And I think increasingly you're also working with a lot with service businesses. What's the story of how you got to where you're at? Gosh, that's a, that's a, a really big a big question. Um, the quick story is my father said, go to university, become an accountant. I realized on the first day that was a really dumb idea for me, <laughs> uh, not necessarily for other people. And what I did was in my final year at university, I set up a cafe, which became a restaurant, which became outside catering, which became pop festival catering, became frozen food. I set up a training company. I literally uh, fell into consulting uh, and uh, then I went to Warwick Business School, did an MBA because I felt I didn't quite have enough stuff going on. Um, and then coming out of Warwick, I went to Warwick. I became director of consulting there, uh, started writing and uh, left Warwick and set up the director center. So that's the, uh, the quick story um, from catering through to consulting. So you were... Well, that, I think that's an interesting question. You, you, you work a lot with entrepreneurs these days in, in, and, uh, and service businesses. Did you kind of, in choosing that as the focus for the director's centre, did, did you, was it an active choice in terms of, you know, you analysed markets, figured out which ones were the most lucrative and needed the most help? Or did it kind of happen more organically? You just kind of, those were the businesses who happened to appear for you or you had the most experience with? Um, I'd, I'd love to say that there was a, a cunning strategy behind it. Actually, I worked with people who I could relate to and who related to me mm. and understood what was going on. My natural uh, preference has always been to independent businesses or independent-minded businesses because they can make stuff happen really quickly, whereas uh, larger businesses are much slower and much more cumbersome. And yes, you know, I've worked with Land Rover, I've worked with Pirelli, I've worked with Barclays, I've worked with you know, all sorts of big blue chip names. And what we find we do is either we're making uh, independent, you know, growing businesses more business-like, putting kind of systems and processes mm-hmm. and structures in place so it becomes more predictable. Or alternatively, we're working with larger companies, uh, as I said, with Barclays, BlackBerry, Microsoft, and we're getting them to become more nimble. So it's, in some senses, it's the same um, it's the same model, same idea, but through a different perspectives. And it's all got this kind of entrepreneurship side to it. That it sounds like you just wouldn't feel comfortable if there wasn't that entrepreneurial element to it. I think there has to be, for me, there has to be this sense of, of nimbleness, and there has to be this sense of uh, excitement and passion, and choice. Mm. Uh, and you know, the one place you mustn't put me is, is, is looking at systems and processes in a in a civil service institution, I think that would probably kill me. Uh, but what what I would be happy, what I would be happy to do is, is to work with them about you know making the customer experience better or getting on board and understanding right. how that actually how it actually comes together for the customer. So I guess I think one of the things is from those early sort of cafe restaurant sound recording studio days is this obsession um, with the customer and, and giving 
seeing things from the customer's point of view, not from our point of view from our side of the desk. And so if you were if you were kind of talking, having a chat with a young consultant or a young professional of some sort who was trying to decide which area to focus on for their business, it sounds like you'd probably advise them to go with something that they felt a real passion for rather than kind of logically and unemotionally analysing things and, and figuring out the most lucrative business to go into. Um, Rationally, you know, rationally, I should actually agree with you, but I don't think that's quite the case because I think that there's there's sort of um, this dreadful phrase people use SME, which means totally nothing. Mm. But uh, independent growing businesses, independent people. I think there are several different sort of flavors going on, and one flavor is the uh, I'm a garage mechanic, always been a garage mechanic. Oh, boss is earning so much, I could run my own. Why don't I run my own, yeah. my own garage? So there's that sort of sense of, I can do this, I love it, I can do better, I'm going to make it happen. And for me, that was what literally happened to me, because I remember sort of sitting in a cafe thinking, my God, I can yeah, do better than this, yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah. And you could. Two pounds, two pounds, well, yeah, two pounds for pizza, and it's 10 pieces worth of flour, and 10 pieces worth of cheese, and 10 pieces worth of tomato. You know, that's, what a rip-off. I, so there's that sense of the passion I'm going to do. But I think mm. there are also people out there who kind of do it by the business book piece where they identify the opportunity and they um, look at the competitors and they see the, the opportunity that's available and they put together a piece. And um, you see those businesses and they, they somehow don't have that, that heart. I've just been judging yeah. startup awards. And you see the, the, real, you know, the real small business, real... Uh, obsessive, passionate, I'm going to do this, I have to do this, people. And then you see the ex-Bain and company, ex-consultancy people who have um, almost cynically gone for creating yeah. something. And they're just, they're just very different. I don't think either's right or wrong. Right. I think there's just, just very different models. Two different sorts of models. So, so I guess the key is to understand which model is going to work for you, which, which of those positions you're in. Yeah, and I think there's a... There's a I'm very fearful of, of, of business school theory because it's, it, you know, it, it might, to my mind, you know, business school marketing, business school strategy is broken. You know, people are just, just hanging on to these old theories and models which were created in the 70s, talking about businesses in the 50s, um, <laughs> pumping, them, pumping them out and making out like uh, these models exist as if people hadn't noticed there's been a recession and it's never going to be the year 2000 again. Mm. We need uh, people to start thinking because what's happened is you say, oh, I'm a marketer, here's my marketing toolkit, I'll do marketing. And actually what people need to do is they actually need to think for themselves about what their clients really want and how they're going to give it mm. to them. I don't know about you, when I went to business school, there was not a single course that even mentioned selling. <laughs> and, uh, and I went back to my own business school, too, and it, it's still the case. <laughs> yeah, selling, and the other one they don't mention is ethics or morality. Ah, or, or, <laughs> okay, so um, that, that's how you kind of got to focus on, on, your, on yours. Um, as you grew your business, what kind of marketing approaches did you use to market yourself, I guess, as a as a leader, as a guru in your field and your business too? Which have been the most effective for you? Well, I think there's a sort of, um, uh, there's, there's, I think there's two answers to that. 
piece. I think one is a is a relatively is a kind of a three line whip, which is uh, having absolute clarity about what your over business benefit is. In other words, if people buy from you, what do they get? Mm. That's uh, and the second line in this one is um, something around what is the real reason for people to believe that you can deliver. Mm-hmm. And the third line is about giving people uh, explaining what makes you dramatically different from the rest. And if you can get those three lined up, then it makes it very easy for people to buy from you. And it makes mm. it very easy for you to present your offering in a way which is which is hugely compelling. People can go, ah, oh, bloody hell, that's amazing. So he get, working with him, on average, people see 30% increase in profit in six months. And he's done it with 20 businesses in the last six months. And there's a money-back guarantee or mm. payment by results. Or, and I think that's, that's one part about sort of figuring out your presentation to market. Mm-hmm. I think the other piece... Um, which actually is in this new book, Grow Your Grow Your Service, firm, mm. which I well, I will plug mercilessly because I was never taught how to do selling. <laughs> Robert 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 hyphen Craven dot com Robert hyphen Craven dot com forward slash G Y S F for Grow Your Service Grow Your Service firm Grow yeah. Your Service firm G Y S F yeah um. And that's about a model which we call the, the expert model, and, and especially uh, around services where you're not selling products, where your services, um, it's dispensable, it doesn't last, it's perishable, uh, your reputation is everything, mm. you feel like you're the same, every consultant feels the same as the next consultant, every IFA feels the same as the next IFA, every homeopath feels the next thing. There's actually a, a, quite a simple model, and the model kind of goes, what really good experts do, uh, and there's five plus two things, so just to bear with me as I, as I go through it. Really great experts have this focus. They have that, that elevator pitch. We mm-hmm. work with these people who have this problem. What we do is this, so that which means that, that, that elevator pitch focus. Yeah. We work with, you know, 30 to 50 year old women who have a problem with, we work with Afro-Caribbean women who have a problem with hair that, you know, doesn't, it's that, that sense of being, Really quite tight. Mm. You know, we work with consultants who sell to professional service firms. Um, so one, they focus. Secondly, they write. They write articles, books, ebooks, blogs, postings. Thirdly, and they, they write about what they focused on. Mm. Thirdly, they they possess the the, 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 yeah, the basic sort of tools that that, that, that you'd expect. They they possess um, the knowledge. Uh, they possess uh, the website, the discussion forum, the, the blog. They have all that stuff in place. The fourth thing they have is they they know they know the movers and shakers, and they know their stuff. You know, if you could just read three books um, that really mattered in your industry or market and understood them, you'd be ahead of the competition. <laughs> and uh, fifth thing is they speak at conferences and events, whether it be local BNI or whether it be you know, on national conference stages. And then on top of that, really great experts. They have an ology, a way of doing something, a theory, a, a proprietary point of view. Uh, and also, and, and that also fits into how they get customers and how they deal with customers. This is our five-step process. And finally, they they tend to have this enormous, back, what I call a back catalogue of testimonials mm. that they work on. So when you actually put all those that five plus two, those 
bits of the jigsaw puzzle together, they all reinforce each other in such a way that the whole thing just comes together. And most, um, like most of your clients, you know, consultants and trainers, are kind of doing all this stuff in in almost separate silos, but they're not actually pulling it all together in one. And when they do, suddenly it, it gets this sort of shebang type. Mm. So, you whether know, you think about uh, you know, Dr. Jillian McKeith, you know, remember her? Yeah. You know, she on, yeah. Fat people who eat burgers, you know, uh, and, and, and she writes, she's got magazines and books, she, she possesses, you know, all the, the websites and art, she knows all the people, she speaks endlessly, she has an ology, the ology is, you know, uh, I look at your poo, I tell you to stop eating, stop <laughs> eating, you know, rubbish food and you lose weight and she's got testimonials, everyone says she's great. You know, it's kind of almost the, the model of what a celebrity does. Mm. Um, but it, whether you're a, an accountant or a solicitor or a dentist or a media agency or a graphic designer, you know, if you impose that model, uh, into your thinking, suddenly the business suddenly starts coming together. It all starts making sense. I think you said a couple of interesting things in there though, Robert, that, um, at least a couple of those points that you mentioned, from my experience, most professionals are really quite frightened of. You talked about how, how experts write. And a lot of people, oh, I can't write. I couldn't possibly write. And experts speak. And of course, a lot of people really don't like speaking either. But as you said, as you, as you yourself have role modeled, those are absolute cornerstones, really. If you're not writing, if you're not producing content, then how does anyone know you're an expert? Yeah. And I think there's a thing about, about, again, if you look at it from the customer's point of view, what would a, what would the, what would the client, the customer, uh, expect someone in your position to be doing? And, you know, it's as simple as, um, if you are such an expert and you are so good at what you do, uh, you know, why are you answering the phone and why are you available to see me tomorrow morning? So, mm. so experts, what then happens with that as your expertise develops is that you, um, there's a, a, a pull process starts developing. People come to you rather than you, rather than you chasing the clients and they come to you because you're the, the main man. And there's a, another thing about, about, uh, niching. So I know um, two two business coaches, and one of them is a. They're both great. They're both fantastic. One of them coaches anyone, and that's amazing. Because so in the morning he's he's talking to an accountant, in the afternoon he's talking to a, a carpenter, the next day he's talking to a management consultant. Amazing. He's talking to all these different people. And, and adding value to their businesses. But because he's a sort of um, uh, a generalist coach, he only charges about £500 a day. Mm. I know another guy, who will be nameless, who only works with dentists. And therefore, you know, it's more about dentists than dentists do. He knows what all the problems are going to be. All his dentist clients train him up in knowing more about what dentists are. His job becomes really, really easy because he's seeing the same problems and he's kind of almost got the solutions ready. And because he's the expert in his field, and all, ex- all dentists know he is the expert, people want to talk to him. Therefore, he's able to charge a premium price because of his real expertise, and he charges two and a half, three thousand pounds a day. Mm. Their skill set, their skill set's identical. It's just how they've presented themselves to the market mm. and how you know, supply and demand kind of 
determines your price point that you can charge. Yeah, and the very the very fact of specialising almost makes you an instant expert because clients begin to perceive you, well, if he's specialising in this field, he must know more. But then over time, you do know more because you get more experience in the same exactly. thing again and again. Exactly. So it doesn't take that long before you actually yeah. are a real expert. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, that's the whole point. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's just about getting that... That's, uh, it's the same story the whole time. We work with these people who have this problem what we do is this which means this so that this and the benefit is this and it's just uh saying the same thing again and again and again and whether it's you know we work with landlords who have their biggest problem is finding uh tenants who stay over a year or whether it's uh your independent financial advisor trying to it's always the same thing about just not saying what everyone else says and being Mm. the same as a competition but actually stepping out Mm. I think a lot of a lot of people are in a way a bit a bit frightened that's going to pigeonhole them for life. But it doesn't. It can if you're very happy there. But it doesn't have to as well. There are many instances of people who've started off in a niche and as they've grown very successful, they've then expanded into similar niches um, very successfully. Yeah, I think I think everyone has to be slightly careful of what happened to uh, Bill Roach when he signed up for Coronation Street as Ken Barlow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because. Uh, who, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind being Ken Barlow in some senses, but I think there's probably more to life than just being Ken Barlow. Yes, but for, for any Americans listening who don't watch Coronation Street, I think Bill's played Ken Barlow for, what, 30, 40 years? Something ridiculous. Yeah, he has. Yeah. I think yeah. he's the longest-running actor in any series anywhere in the world, and he just can't break out of that role. Yeah, yeah, three or four times. But, yeah, and I think what actually happens is you also, you also morph. And if I think about uh, what's happened, you yeah. My business and the books that I've written, you know, the first business was like the first album, Kickstart Your Business, which is about growing businesses, pure growing business. The second one was Customer is King, so I took this turn into this obsession with uh, seeing things through the customer's eyes and giving, giving the customer what they wanted. And then after that, we had Bright Marketing, which was, you know, another morph back to, back to marketing and, and, and getting those sales. And then we had the credit crunch. And this isn't sort of me self-publicizing. It's just a, an explanation of how, you know, over a period of 10, 15 years, you're, you can adjust. So then mm. we were on beat the credit crunch, which is very much around what are the 10 things that you can do in the next 10 days, how to grow your business. And now we've, you know, we've gone back to, you know, grow your service firm, which is, and in some senses, it's all the same, same pieces of the jigsaw. Uh, why should people bother to buy from you? What makes you different from the rest? Uh, how can you be extraordinary? Stop messing around. Mm. Take massive action. Focus on results. Each step but is closer. It, Sorry, yeah, you go on. But but each time, as you say, it's closer. You're 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 working around what's going on in the marketplace. You're working around what what you enjoy doing. You're working around uh, where the opportunities are, um, and and so it. Everything and nothing's changed, but what you're doing is you're, you're, in my instance, in many instances, I think you're, you're revising and, and improving by maybe 10% a year. Mm. So over five or 10 years, the whole thing kind of morphed. Mm. You can look very different in the end, but each one builds on the credibility of the previous one. You're not instantly jumping from focusing on customer service and marketing to process improvement in the public sector, for example, where the credibility wouldn't carry across. You'd essentially be starting again from scratch. 
you've got that baseline of credibility and you're just pushing away at the edges, as you say, moving 10% at a time. But 10% yeah. at a time over a number of years gets you quite a long way. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think also you're, you know, you're, there's, there's partially this thing about you're as good as your last gig, but I think you're also as, as good as your, as your testimonials mm. in some senses because people are buying, uh, and, and your network, because people are buying, the majority of the time people are buying from you, you know, from that kind of word of mouth marketing piece. And, and that, that tells you a lot about uh, what you're actually doing when you see people talking about you, so to speak, behind your back. Um, that gives you a, a clue to what you do that really, really works. Okay, so so when we think about your your own business, Robert, um, mm-hmm. is it the original question I was going to ask was what what things have been crucial to your success? But I have a feeling you're going to say it's actually implementing that expert model you talked about um, has been the thing that's that's worked for you. Is that is that right? I think yeah, I think that's I think that's true. But I think there's also uh, one, I think that's true. I think secondly, there's something about uh, engagement, and I think that it's that very much the back end of, of the model, uh, which is this thing about having an ology, a way of doing something, and also about letting letting the word of mouth marketing and the testimonials do do the work. Although you, you've actually got to uh, actively make it happen, people are going to have something to talk about. Um, and, and there's something about uh, about standing out from the rest. And I think there's there's lots of me too uh, in my field. There's lots of me too consultants, and there's relatively few people who are uh, either being more forthright or more assertive or or actually uh, walking the talk. Um, Smoking their own dope, I think the phrase is. <laughs> well, um, I think it's, it is a common factor between a lot of the people I've interviewed that they have been relatively outspoken and controversial. They're not afraid if they think if they think something is not good, they'll say so. If they think think something is good, they'll praise it. And they, that that's frightening for some people as well to state a forthright opinion and run the risk of being attacked for that. But I think if you're the same as the competition, then why would I want to bother to buy from mm. you? Why should I remember who you are? And vanilla, vanilla's incredibly dull unless you happen to be an absolute vanilla fan. And, 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 and there have been times uh, when I've been sort of... Um, well, even if people do talk badly about you behind your back, it's actually not a problem because... I'll, I'll give you an example. I, so I was quoted as saying... Uh, if if you hate your accountant, you should sack. If you're not delighted by your accountant, you should sack them. Okay, which I don't think is controversial because if you're not delighted with your mm. your um, whatever it is, your, yeah, your accountant, your window cleaner, then you should sack them. Anyhow, the what's it hit the fan uh, and on some of the accountant website, like Robert Craven says. And all it did for me was prove to me, you guys who are going on and on about how I'm evil because I don't recognise how accountants have spent seven years um, training and I don't understand and I'm just uh, someone who wants to be an accountant. Uh, bear in mind, I haven't even written the blog. Someone else had written it. It just <laughs> confirmed to me that those are the sorts of people that I didn't didn't really want to work with. Yeah, And they were never and, going to be customers anyway, then, were they? Yeah. 
they never were, and, that, and that's fine. And also, it, what, and anyone who had a brain would recognise what I was actually saying was, yeah, accountants wake up and smell the coffee. It's, it's no longer good enough uh, to be mediocre. Because my thing, keep using the word opportunity, my thing for accountants is I think it's tremendously exciting out there because, so, because again, vanilla is such a common flavour that mm. um, you can stand out really quite easily. And there are other things which I said which kind of went, went wild. I did this thing about calling uh, some clients that we have might be considered to be sort of pond life or scum because they're, they're not great, they're difficult, they're buying on price, they don't really value what we do. And I'm saying, well, you should sack those customers. And people say, how do you say sack that? And another thing was about putting up prices. And, yeah, as I said, you know, smoke your own dope. I, it's stuff that, that we do. Um, and I think it's just confronting, confronting reality, you know, and whether the, the last one I got on Twitter last week was, uh, Robert, Robert Craven says Twitter is a load of rubbish, wasn't actually that word that was used, um, and Twitter is for losers, and, uh, all I'm doing is trying to create a debate. I'm not actually necessarily saying Twitter is for losers, and if you're on Twitter, you'll lose it. It's just trying to um, talk about stuff that everyone's talking about. Everyone's wondering whether spending three hours a day on Twitter is actually doing anything for them. <laughs> so, why not, so why not ask people, you know, what is the return on investment? Come on. Well, if, it, if we look back to your, your accounting one, I think a good example would be the... Um, you know, it helps. It helps people who like your opinion, who would be good clients for you, to find you. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. if you're if you're vanilla, nobody's going to pick up. Maybe ninety percent of accountants are going to go, "That's swine, Robert Craven. How dare he?" But ten percent are going to go, "Hang on, he's right. You know, we are no different from each other. We ought to do a better job. Let me speak to him." Yeah, and I think and I think that's pretty much that's pretty much what happens. I think it's just about. Um, we're back to this thing where, I, where, we, where we started the interview, which is about, you know, it's too many people who've, who've been taught the tools in their box, and they've stopped thinking. They've mm. stopped thinking about, if I was a client, what would I, what would blow me away if I was a client? You know, and that can be, and that's why we get some interesting businesses turning up. When, you know, when, whether it's innocent drinks or, or TED Talks or, um, a Whole Foods store or um, Tom's Shoes, all these places. When these places appear, see me out of nowhere. It's because they've designed the business from the customer's point of view. And often they, often they are the customer. customer. Yeah, often they are the customers, aren't they? It's a frustration they've had yeah. that they they then turn yeah, into. Absolutely. I'm not the only one. I'll build the business around that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Wouldn't it be great if there was a business around that could deliver this, as opposed mm. to just looking at the tools they've got inside their box and playing safe? And what safe can I do with them? Yeah. So that that I think that comes neatly to the kind of final question, which is, if you were something like, uh, you know, if you were almost starting again today, you'd you'd done the early part of your your career, you'd done the business school side, etc., um, and you decided that going down this route of becoming a well-known expert was, mm. was a good was a good route. How, how would you go about it? What would be the first steps you would take? You sort of, what's your advice for, let's say, a younger consultant or, or advisor of some sort, some sort of professional who wants to build this expert persona and, and skill set? Where do they start? Well, 
Well, it's funny you should say that because there is a 22-point plan in the new book. Ah. But, <laughs> you but, did uh, say you'd be merciless on that, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, on, on, a, on, a, on a more serious sort of note, uh, I, I think you relatively systematically go through it with, a, with an action plan, which is you know actually sit down and assess your current expertise, create a what I would call a first draft of that, that one-minute intro about your focus and your niche, that elevator pitch. Mm. I work with these people with this problem. What I do is this, so that this happens, which means that this benefit happens. Audit the competitions. Look at what their their point of view is. Sort of create, look at the gaps and, 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 and where your strengths are. Then create your own point of view. Actually say, you know, what makes me different is collect evidence to support your point of view, look at what's going on in the industry, and then actually produce what I would call, I guess, a not only just a proprietary point of view, your, your actual proprietary point of view, but also start writing down that proprietary point of view, create a white paper, create a marketing plan, mm. uh, start putting those articles together, get photos, get a bit of marketing, you know, get the get testimonials, then you're putting the branding together, and then you're, you're kind of nearly up to speed uh, by creating what I call a party piece article, which is the thing that you can send everywhere, which is your your point of view. The your one thing you view, want to be remembered for, really. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem with this industry right now is one, two, three, four. And what's going to happen in the next six months in this industry is one, two, three, four. And I have a solution. My solution is A, B, C, and D, E, F, G. And that kind of gives you the opportunity to start doing all that other stuff, to speak, to get in print, start being published, start... Networking. So then all and those activities are more coherent because they're all supporting this kind of point of view that you've exactly. developed rather than you just coming up with an art, you wake up in the morning and think, I'll write about this or I'll, I'll speak on this topic. It's all leading to the same market positioning for you. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a sort of, um, and it takes it takes some time. Uh, it really just takes some time to, A, to develop your own, your own voice to work out mm. what makes it different from the rest, but also that you, know, you put out that, that message, you know, drip, 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 and eventually people, you know, people start hearing it. They start understanding that you're the go-to person for, you know, whether it's tree stump removal or coaching for dentists or or whatever it is. Um, but it's something about just sort of just keeping on going, keeping on pushing, keeping on uh, making it happen, and then. You need to be known for for results, you know. And so we're back to you know, what is that's where we started. What's your ever what's your ever benefit? What is it that you do for people? Um, what's the real reason to believe that you can deliver? And what's the you know, what's the dramatic difference between you and the rest? And it's 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 a cycle which you just keep on going around. Yeah. So you, so you so you're identifying what that is, then you're writing about it, talking about it, and you're delivering it as well, so that you've then Absolutely. got the evidence that that's what you can do. Absolutely. And then once you've got the evidence, you can get the testimonials, you're creating an ology, you're creating a, a body of thought. You're, you're, and of course, I think the other thing that people often forget in early days is you know, if you write an article once, then you can publish it about 20 times. Because mm. firstly, especially in the disparate world we're in now, um, I, I probably publish about 20, 25 online magazines, but they, they're in difficult different geographical areas, there's no competitiveness about it, um, and, um, you know, you can leverage your articles by, by good old-fashioned cut and paste, as long as you're, you're, you're careful and respectful of 
what the, the, the editor wants. Yeah, maybe um, maybe a small rewrite, tweak it for for their particular yeah, interest. Absolutely. And of course, and of use course different it, use different media as well. You can you yeah. can it can become a podcast or a you know or, or turn it into a you know to camera video a short one. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's um, using that collateral really well. Uh, and you and also I think there's something about uh, just getting into that that groove that which is, you know, I'm going to publish one article a week, mm. or I'm going to write one case study a week, or I'm going to I'm going to make it my policy that when I've been to see a client and they're a happy client, I'm going to take my little camera with them and ask them for a for a if they're happy for me to create a sixty second video testimonial, which go, then goes onto the website. And a video testimonial is worth worth you know hours and hours of web design and article writing mm. to someone say, I was lost, I met the in, now I'm found. Because yeah, <laughs> I say that all the time, don't they? You do, they do. My new I, evangelical business is starting up next week. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the .com URL is taken or not. <laughs> and, um, I hope so. And, and, and I think it, it, it just becomes... Um, Part of part of your view of the world, and, mm. that, and I think that another piece of this is this thing about just getting in, getting in your mind that by educating people, by helping people, by showing people, by being seen as the the useful resource, by seeing by being seen as being generous. That, that people come to you for more and more. Yeah. And, and it's okay. I mean, we're all obsessed with our own speciality. I don't know if you remember years and years ago. Um, uh, uh, no, in fact, in fact, I know where it came from. It came from your very blog. Your very blog is where I remember this. I knew, I knew it was from somewhere. Oh, blame me. What's Bob this? Mon- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read it. I read it today. Bob Monkhouse loses his, loses his. Oh, his um, joke books. That's right. This is joke books, and it makes no difference to to, to Bob Monkhouse, and because people aren't buying the joke books, they're buying Bob Monkhouse. Yeah. And I think it's very much the same about us. We think that people are buying um, our toolkit, but they're not. They're buying us doing it. Mm. And, and so back to this celebrity thing, we're back to this expert model. That's right. Yeah. I, I, in fact, that just came out of a conversation last that, that last night. I wrote it up straight away. Because there are so many people worried about giving giving away too much, but you know, and that may be true. If you know, if your if your business is you are a pure information marketer where you just sell reports and and and, uh, and things like that and, and training videos, that might be the case. But for most of us, we sell our end results. We sell our, our coaching services, our, our consulting services that deliver results. And there's so much more to delivering results than just the knowledge. There's, I mean, I think there's two things there. I think the first thing is. If they were going to nick your stuff, they were never going to be a customer in any case. Yeah. So you're never, you're never going to get any money from them in any case. So mm. you can grumble about that. But I think the other thing you mentioned, uh, which again is about thinking about how you do business, is if you sell results, let's just flip this from the customer's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, wearing the customer's hat, I'm thinking, I come to you, uh, I want results. You're thinking, oh, I'm a really clever coach or consultant. I'm going to use. Uh, this methodology, I'm going to use this questioning technique, I'm going to use this, and you're obsessed with your, your tools and your toolkits. Now, from the customer's point of view, let's just, let's make it really, really simple. Uh, I'm saying, I currently 
uh, uh, I want 25% increase in profit. That's my idea of success. But if that's the customer's idea of success, why on earth are we charging people by the hour? Why on earth are we charging people by the day? Why don't we have the conviction of what we do to say, okay, let's do payment by results? Because that, that just seems the absolute logic in the same way that you go into a restaurant and you don't like the food, you shouldn't pay for it. Mm. You know, I've, come to buy, I've come here to buy nice food, not to buy food at £18, whether I like it or not. And, I, and that's what I mean about, about finding ways of, of giving the customer what we want. So we did last year, as an example, we did a pay-what-you-want consulting. Um, and, it, yeah, I, I'll repeat that. Pay what you want. I remember that. I remember the workshops and things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and it's... it's Absolutely fascinating because it, it, it changes the relationship between you and the client. And it talks about going all the way back to basics about what does the client want? The client wants this result. Let's do payment on results. Let's do, you know, and, and pay what you want to logically extreme. We've got, we've got restaurants. We've got uh, hotels. We've got all kinds of clients who've, who've gone down that route. And, you know, as long as it's not just gimmicky and as long as you're, you're careful who you, who you do that work with, um, it can, it can be hugely profitable. Certainly it's a great marketing twist. Mm. Um, and, and other options are fixed price plus payment on results or payment of a, if, um, payment on a, on a, on a, on a milestone being, mm. being covered. I just think we, we shouldn't just think about, I'm a, I'm a consultant or a coach and I'm selling time, uh, because I think that's kind of a road to ruin. You're, I think it's much more constructive to think about what is the client's definition of success. Well, it aligns your goals, doesn't it? If you're just being paid by time, your goal then is to spend as much time as possible doing something, which is probably not really in no one's interest. Yeah, I had an accountant like that, you know, and we spent all time talking about E-type Jaguars and how well Bath Rugby was doing and me paying a couple of hundred pounds an hour to listen to it. Maybe that triggered that uh, that article about accounts, did it? <laughs> I, I, I couldn't say it, did I couldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, I think our time is up, but that's been really helpful. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Absolute pleasure. If, if people want to find out more, um, especially if they want to learn more about the uh, the service firm book, how do, how, how do they go about doing that? Well, the Grow, the Grow Your Service Firm book is, uh, the, the best place to find it is at my website, which is www.robert-craven.com. And then if you want to find the, the book, then you just they go to robert-craven.com and they then put slash G-Y-S-F, great service on G-Y-S-F.php. It's not a very sexy URL, but um, it certainly gets them there. Brilliant. Um, well, that's it, Robert. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. It's been absolutely great, Ian. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers, then. Bye-bye.